I mean, it's nice to know that this podcast is still about as well organized as anything that Hugo de Young has ever done. It's Friday, May 21st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Binnenhof Verbouwing Watcher. With me today are Gordon Derrick, contributing editor Dutch News and Royal Lamp Expert, and Robin Pascal, Editor-in-Chief of Dutch News and Eurovision Lover. And we have a very special guest on the show for an Ophef of the Week takeover. Do I have to introduce myself? I don't even get an introduction. I wanted to... Uh, no, yeah, this is your introduction. Yes. I thought this is going to be a surprise. <laughs> I get no introduction. We're not going to give anybody my name, no, my job affiliation, any no. reason of why I'm here. Just bam. Listen to this no, person tell their own story. You're just here for the plants and that's it. This is true. I'm here for the plants. Uh, Gordon, I want to uh, ask you something uh, to begin with. <laughs> yeah. um, last week we had a discussion about Albert Heijn versus uh, Jumbo. Yes. Uh, but I noticed that they added something to their... Um, to, the, to their products, um, uh, a uh, what was it? Worstebroodje pizza. This is Jumbo's Worstebroodje uh, pizza, right? Yes. Did you change your mind? I about actually your, feel <laughs> personally offended by um, by this particular supermarket chain because having spent so much time defending them and saying that <laughs> the people should stop being so snobbish about uh, about uh, be precious about Albert Heijn and stop paying thirty percent extra for their bananas just so they can you know, they can avoid the yellow signs. I now discover to my horror that Yumbo have done this have, have just visited this absolute have created this absolute abomination of a pizza. Is a, which yeah. is a pizza with sausage rolls. Which, which, I, which I, and I don't know which doesn't all. make sense at all. I don't know which of these two food products uh, is is worse slighted by these. I think it's probably a harsher on pizza than on sausage rolls. But it's a hard, these are two of my fa- these are also two of my favourite things to eat, and yet they somehow <laughs> combine them into some kind of monstrosity that uh, you know I feel physically repelled by. I, so, think the, I think the worst thing is Gordon. It's not a proper sausage roll. It's not a vo- it's a Vorstenbrot. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which is yes. even which is worse. I mean, that's yeah. really you know take takes the biscuit. What, what, wait a minute, God, Paul, How can is, you handle is... it with these fucking Brits the whole time? It's terrible. <laughs> and and now they're trashing uh, Brabant's proud Vorstenbrotjes. Vorstenbrotjes are delicious. So no, yeah, sorry, Vorstenbrotjes are not not sausage roll should be a, 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 a big thick meaty sausage in a in a paste rolled in pastry not this uh, sort of impoverished thing that you get from in dutch supermarkets well at, at least welcome to the albert heinz side of yeah. the well of the no, no, i'm still going to yumbo for the stroke waffles they still do the, mm. they, they, they're still not violated stroke waffles in the way that albert heinz did exactly we have the lavender stroke waffles of course this isn't even the biggest food news of the week did you not see the breaking hema food related news today it happened about i first saw it about an hour ago hema what have they done with the roadforced they're making Tompus donuts. What? Yes. What? They're making Tompus donuts. <laughs> no. Hema is cancelled. <laughs> this is appalling. What is I'm so excited. I'm going to Hema tomorrow to get a Tompus donut for sure. Molly is also cancelled. I tell you, I thought the coronavirus outbreak was bad, but obviously everyone who buys food for Dutch supermarkets has lost their sense of taste because there's been this viral outbreak of terrible food combinations. Exactly. Yeah. Shall we go on to the uh, to the uh, job titles? Yes. Because we have to discuss Please. them as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gordon, let's start with you. A royal lamp expert. What's that all about? Yeah. This is to do with uh, the interview that was broadcast on Monday night uh, on the fiftieth birthday of uh, Queen Maxima. 
which was one of the most popular TV shows I think that's been broadcast uh, for several years. Uh, it's sort of got viewing ratings up there with a uh, like a European football semi-final or something. Yeah. Um, and there's all kinds of, uh, sort of startling details in it. But for me, the, the thing that uh, stood out, uh, mainly because it was in the first five minutes before I switched off, uh, mentally, uh, was uh, that, uh, the, 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 was that the, Matthias von Newkirk went in to the palace, Houston Bosch, to do the interview. And he was, his eye was caught by this uh, quite amazing uh, chandelier that was in the palace uh, that uh, Maxima turned out to have commissioned. Um, and it's, 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 uh, it, 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 and it's a very kind of modern chandelier that, uh, I, I don't yeah. know, I, 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 it could have been a lot worse, but the, this enormous sort of um, uh, design design was sort of a, a sort of pattern of cubes but then inside each cube each of the lamps is like an individual dandelion it's just yeah. like a, uh, with a little lead and then all the um, yeah all the leaves glued on the, on top of them yeah, yeah. and uh, Matthijs van Nieuwkerk was looking at it and we were discussing it and he said I can't even call it a lamp it, it, it is a piece <laughs> of art and then Maxima said no it's a lamp yeah yeah very matter of fact so no it's just a lamp yeah uh, yeah, so, yeah stop gushing um, they didn't even show uh, Matthijs the DNA room because they also have uh, uh, a DNA room where they um, uh, sort of the the wallpaper is their DNA code. Where they right. check to um, see what the how dark the baby's skin is going to be before it's born. That's, <laughs> all, that's what all royal families do, right? <laughs> that's a different royal family. That's a different royal, a different family. royal family. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see we have relatives of war criminals uh, in our royal family. Yeah, I, I, see, I see why the British royal family doesn't do this, because then uh, the, 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 that, that could expose some rather uncomfortable truths if you had Prince <laughs> Charles' DNA and Prince Harry's DNA on the same, in the same room. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, um, Robin, uh, you, are, you have been watching Eurovision, I understood. Loving Eurovision, I understood. So much. I, uh, no, I haven't paid any attention to it at all this year, actually. Um, Just this year or, or do you ignore it every time? Every I year? used to be an enormous diehard fan. If we can go back to the great years of the wonderful Dutch song Ding a Dong, which was a you know, yeah. classic in Eurovision terms. It's one of the all time but, Eurovision highlights. I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But no, I'm afraid it's sort of a little bit takes a bit too long now. I mean, Four dress yeah. rehearsals, two semi-finals, a final that lasts like you know for seventeen hours. It's just it's beyond me. Yeah. I can't cope with yeah. it anymore. So it's just not been the same since, of... since the since the Berlin Wall came down. They've just let too many countries <laughs> into Europe. Many countries. This is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Australia, yeah, Australia. Right. I mean, fascinating Australia being there, Eurovision. But yeah. there you go. Anyway, seeing as they're all going down with coronavirus, you know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But we got, we uh, we get to that uh, later in the podcast. Paul, do you have a job title? What is your job yes, title? Yes, I do. Uh, it was uh, Binnenhof for uh, Bowings Watcher. Oh, God. Is there more Binnenhof or Bowing drama? I've missed this. Yes, yes, yes. Did they overorder on the number of plants they needed for their <laughs> their terrarium? Did you did you see the Donald Trump entrance they built in front of the, the new Tweede Kamer building? I did see a photo yeah, of this, well, yes. Uh, that's not the, the OPEF. Uh, oh, that's, that's not, not even the OPEF. To... <laughs> no, there's, there's been dramatic development, hasn't there? Been... There has been a dramatic yeah. development, something that we everyone missed, uh, because the uh, Binnenhof for Bowing, uh, they're going going to investigate what what went wrong in the process and a lot of things went wrong but it's been it will be carried out by no one less than uh johan remkes so um mr stickstoff uh, mr stickstoff we have two people in the hague when everything uh, uh, goes wrong there are two people you can call one of them is herman chenk willink and the other one is Ro johan remkes yeah so um you've had a, I, I, i've got a theory that uh, in mark Rutte's office there's a, there's two red buttons 
on the underside yeah. of his desk <laughs> with one is marked Hermantink Villink and the other is marked Johan Gremkes. He just presses them whenever there's an emergency. Yeah, that's uh, I I that's I think that's a plausible uh, theory indeed. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, but um, we do not have an op-hef this week because nothing happened. But luckily for us, um, yeah, something else happened. Something glorious happened. Yeah. Something glorious happened uh, to Molly Quell. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Um, tell us everything about it. What happened? I want you guys to know this is the only media I've done about this. Despite the BBC, the odd day, like, stalked me for, like, a, two days <laughs> I was getting phone calls from them. <laughs> Some French television station, just like everybody has tried, and I have refused to speak publicly about this affair. Other Did than you even turn down Panorama magazine? What did you say, Gordon? Did you even turn down Panorama magazine? Yeah, I've turned down everything. Just Newsweek, <laughs> Newsweek called. Like, nope, I've turned down everything, but I've said yes to one media outlet, and that is the one that employs me. So I guess it's fine. <laughs> well, tell us what happened. So we are re-renovating our shed, rebuilding our shed. Um, and as part of that process, my partner decided that he wanted to put a green roof on the shed, which is very nice for the birds and the insects and the environment and stuff. Um, <laughs> and I was not totally convinced that we should have this, but it's, I guess, been a worthwhile endeavor. So he ordered the number of plants that we needed from a green roof company that I am not going to name because I feel very <laughs> bad for them. And we were ordered this weeks ago and on... I guess it was Tuesday, Tuesday morning. At about 7.15 in the morning, we get a phone call. And apparently, the company that we had ordered from, something had gone wrong between them and their plant distributor. And instead of ordering 51 trays of plants, which are about, I think about 100 centimeters by, you know, 50 centimeters or something like this, they had processed an order for 510 square meters of plants, <laughs> which is a lot more plants, a lot hmm. more plants. Yeah. Yeah. So the company called and they said, yeah, we're, you know, we just realized this because, you know, we got contacted by the transport company, but it's already on like the trucks. So the, what you're going to have to do. Truck, say, well, yeah. we thought yeah. truck and then it was trucks. Um, <laughs> you're going to have to just accept the order and then we will come back and pick them up in the afternoon. Like, OK, fine. I mean, like we sort of thought that this was going to be funny. Um, and basically like then, so this is in the morning. We're like, okay, you know, cool, whatever. Like, well, I'm not sure where on the sidewalk we're going to put all these pallets of plants, but like they only have to be there for a couple hours and we'll make it work. It's fine. So at some point about 11, we get a phone call saying the truck does not fit on the street because of course we live in the <laughs> Netherlands and the streets are really tiny. So one of the delivery drivers had found a spot a couple of blocks away blocking like an intersection and we come out and are going to speak to him about this. And he's like, yeah, where are you guys doing with all these plants? And we're like, yeah, this is a mistake. We need like half a pallet. And he's like, yeah, I have six pallets. And we're like, well, that's interesting because we're pretty sure it's more than that. At which point another truck shows up with even more like plants on them. <laughs> At which point somebody from the company, the roofing company turns up. And of course what the roofing company guy wants is for these delivery trucks to like take the plants back or like, something but the delivery companies i mean they don't have any interest in this because you know they have a schedule of deliveries and these plants are yeah. in the front and whatever they need to do next is behind that and so it just turned into this like endless argument about whether or not they were going to put the plants back on the truck or whatever in the middle of all of this one of the guys just starts unloading the plants like he's clearly not <laughs> having it so we end up with all these plants like sort of on the sidewalk and in the end the guy managed to talk one 
one of the two truck drivers into keeping the plants on the truck, at which point we discovered that the gravel that we had also ordered for the roof is behind the plants on the truck. So then we thought this whole thing was going to fall apart because, of course, we need the gravel. And the yeah. guy from the company was just like, I will just drive to the Hornbach and buy you the gravel and bring it back <laughs> if we don't have to take these plants off the truck. And we're like, yeah, sure. I mean, that's cool. And so, you know, in the afternoon, they eventually managed to come back and pick up the plants that had been offloaded. And we got our plants and uh, we installed the plants and the plants that looks great the roof looks absolutely fantastic and of course i like live tweeted this and it has gone so incredibly viral that i like <laughs> yeah. to delete myself off the internet because i can't deal with it anymore it has over four thousand retweets yeah, and it's crazy. almost thirteen thousand likes uh it wasn't was it was it just uh dutch twitter that uh no, that tweeted it this very or? quickly like sort of left the neighborhood as they say and it got very funny because of course i was tweeting this you know with my own audience in mind which is most Mostly, you know, Dutch people or like internationals who live here who speak some Dutch. So the funny like dialogue bits, like when these guys get mad at each other and stop, you know, wishing cancer on one another. Do normal, or no? Yeah, do normal. Krijgt tyfus. Yeah. The guy kept just screaming "Yeetje," and I was, you know, just really funny. People kept asking me, they're like, yeah, what are these words? Like, nobody knows what this stuff means, and so there was like a lot of questions if you sort of like look in the comments about this kinds of stuff, and there was a lot of misunderstanding about like you know the sort of logistics of like yeah why can't the truck fit on the street like yeah because it's a tiny dutch street like yeah. trucks mm. can't fit on this kinds of stuff like yeah so yeah. it was all very kind of entertaining yeah. but yeah it quickly like left the neighborhood as they say and and spread far and wide yeah so but, i mean did you get any um uh like sarcastic or nasty commentary or were people mostly rooting for you on this so i it was funny because the next morning you sort of, I mean, I think anybody that knows this, right? Like as soon as you have a tweet that starts to get too much traction, you have to like mute everything because otherwise yeah, it's yeah. just unbearable to deal with. So I had just kind of like muted everything and I like had work to do. Like we were, you know, we're trying to like install a green roof. Like I have like two, you know, ECHR rulings I'm trying to do write-ups for. So I kind of like closed it all down. And then in the next morning on Wednesday morning, I was like looking through some of the comments and stuff. And I was like, wow, I'm really impressed at how like, not shitty people have been like i sort of expected worse i mean this is usually what happens and then i remembered that about two months ago i installed an app um called block party which sort of lets you really filter out like terrible stuff on twitter mm. and it's great because when i went to go look in the block party folder that's where all the terrible shit was <laughs> so highly recommend this app if you don't uh do, if you have problems with this kinds of stuff on twitter but for for the most part i would say surprisingly surprisingly i i expected more drama and t yeah. to be fair most people just thought it was even more drama than the 520 square meters of plans. yeah that was yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but no, yeah. people were mostly nice. There was a lot of people complaining that British people complaining that I'd spend spelled meters incorrectly because of course I'd spelled oh, yeah. it in the American <laughs> way. And some Dutch people complaining that like why is this Dutch person not tweeting in English and not in Dutch, which you know was, but that's was just also a kind standard, of yeah, normal yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Besides but, yeah, that, yeah. it was mostly fine. Yeah, so, yes, yes, yes. So most people kind of twigged that it was a funny story then. Yeah, I mean, people were mostly amused. Actually, what I was slightly worried about is about two years ago, this guy went viral with this story about the rice delivery. I don't know oh, if yeah. you guys had read this. I, I vaguely heard of this, yes. Yeah, yeah. This, so this guy whose brother-in-law ordered like a truckload of rice and then it was like a whole drama. This, of course, happened in India. 
And the people just kept tagging this poor guy over and over and over again in like this Twitter thread. I felt really bad for him. And then later he sort of showed up in the comments and I was like, oh, dude, I feel so sorry for you. He's like, this literally happens every time somebody tweets about like an over delivery of stuff. So this will happen to you the next time yeah. as well. Probably. Except yeah. that, of course, my tweets auto delete. So the thread will be gone. It's it's ah, only got ah. like 11 more days oh, left and then it disappears. So ah, yeah. you only, yeah. you only yeah. have a few more days to read it if you want to. Yeah. And then it's, it's going to go off. Yeah, there's a great detail on this thread that, 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 that we didn't pick up, which was at one point uh, your, 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 your um, uh, delightful other half uh, wanted to sort of branch out, as it were, and offer the spare plants to the rest of the neighborhood. Yeah. And it was actually... Yeah, there was a take. There, there was actually that's your positive response to this. There was a take. Yeah. yeah. So he so so yeah, so my my boyfriend the the company guy sort of jokingly was like, yeah, I mean, do you know anybody that wants some plants? Because like it's annoying for them to have to send another truck back out. And so, you know, my partner being overly helpful and nice tossed it into the street WhatsApp group and then we got a taker. Now, of course, like she also, the neighbor also only needed like half a pallet of plants. So it wasn't really that helpful for him because there's still five and a half more pallets to be dealt with. But now the neighbor is also getting a green roof. So that was all very exciting. And Great. I guess right. good so for now, the company because she's now, she then agreed to purchase because you need some other stuff, like some like Wurtelduchia and like these mm -hmm. other things. So she basically just arranged with this company guy to like buy the rest of these things that she needs like from him. So I think it actually worked out well for them in the end. <laughs> so a big relief for everybody then. I mean, people kept making these jokes about, oh, this company is really terrible and all this stuff. But I mean, they made a mistake. Like they did what they needed to do to fix it. We had a lovely time. They were very nice to us the whole time. I mean, I understand the point of the transport companies. Like it's not, they're not, the trucks aren't from the same companies. They have no incentive to want to like, redo their whole delivery thing because some other company screwed up. I mean, nobody was ever mad at us. Everybody was like super nice. And uh, we had it's, a great experience. It's just that your, it's just that your sidewalk was too small to uh, yeah. process. Well, the uh, Netherlands was too plans. small to process. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the country is too small for your plants. Yeah. The country yeah. is too yeah. small for this many plants. Yeah. Well, we'll link to the to the thread on the, in the liner notes, um, and uh, hopefully uh, you will uh, read it in time before it uh, yep. gets auto deleted. But I think I'm going to sell the first tweet as a an NFT and and do one of these crazy <laughs> crypto Bitcoin thingamajiggers for like Elon Musk money. <laughs> so I will let you guys know if I put it up for sale. Maybe some Dutch yeah, newsreader wants to own the non-fungible token of of the of yeah, this Twitter maybe auctioning auctioning or something. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I just have to say as well. I've, I'm, I worked in four, four puns about uh, plants and leaves there, and none of them took. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very going to cancel sorry. myself now as well. Yeah. <laughs> we have to. Uh, yeah, gotta. I don't know. I was trying to think of a plant pun, but I can't come up with anything. You have to uproot no. this whole uh, segment and, uh, exactly. and re yeah. replant yeah. it. Yeah. Dig it up and start again. You got to dig it up and start over. So there you go. Yeah, you yeah just keep digging and eventually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Throw what we had before in the compost. And yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So that was my, uh, that was my week. Well, thank you that you uh, wanted to come on the podcast and uh, tell us everything about yes. uh, Plantgate, as it's uh, dubbed right now. Thank you for uh, and, thank uh, you for inviting <laughs> me. It was uh, it was lovely to see you guys, and I uh, look forward to yeah. hearing the rest of the podcast when it comes out uh, later on today, later tomorrow, whenever. And see you next time when you over over oh, order God. something. I don't uh, want to hear it. No, there's not going to be a next time. <laughs> I'm deleting myself from the internet. <laughs>
This week, more Corona rules relaxations kicked in while the infection rates took a positive turn and Hugo de Jonge lost 5 billion euros. In The Hague, the formation talks resumed, Amsterdam was the stage of a spectacular high-speed chase and Rotterdam hosted the semi-finals of the Eurovision Song Contest. Since Wednesday, you've been able to start your day with a gym workout, have bitterballen on a cafe terrace from 6am and spend the day at the zoo or the Efteling. In the evening, you can now relax with a book from your local library or hire some private company now that the sex workers are back in business. All these things are possible in Stage 2 of the government's five-step plan to relax the coronavirus restrictions, which were given the go-ahead at the start of this week. Mark Rutte and Hugo de Jonge had said last week they wanted to wait until there were clear signs of infections and hospital emissions were coming down before giving the green light. So tell us, is this actually the case? Yeah, it really is happening. I've got to say that in, uh, oh. the figures are looking much better than they have done for, well, a couple of months, really. We had a couple of full storms in April, but now this week the infections came down by about 25%. Uh, number of patients in hospital is now down to 1,900, and it's uh, come tumbling down the last couple of days. So it, it's still a high number, got to say that. But, uh, yeah. I mean, at the peak at the end of April, there were 2,700, so it's a lot better. Um, and the number of patients in intensive care is heading down towards a 600 mark, um, and uh, so that's looking brighter. Although, of course, if you're working in a hospital, all that means is that now you're going to be start having to catch up on all the operations you had to postpone uh, because of the second wave of the coronavirus. So no respite in sight for uh, people in the health service, so thoughts with them. Nevertheless, so all the numbers are moving in the right direction, including, crucially, I think, the positive test rate. Now it's been climbing for about nine weeks and at the weekend, it peaked about 12.8% of all tests were positive. But in the last four days, it started coming down, and it's already down to 11.6%. So that's looking much brighter as well. And I think what's made the difference is the vaccination has hit that kind of 30% mark, which is uh, what we've seen in other countries is the point where it really starts to make a difference. 10% um, of people are fully vaccinated, and the infections are coming down fastest in the age groups that have had the vaccine. And uh, the pace is picking up as well. So this week we should get a million shots uh, just in the seven day period for the first time and eight million in total. Although it is still doubtful if we'll hit Hucho's magic deadline of uh, everyone getting a first dose by the 1st of July. It's quite surprising, actually, isn't it? Because we thought that King's Day would, would really kind of put things off the chart again. Yeah, and there was a kind of King's Day blip, definitely. There was a King's Day effect, but I think um, effectively the, the vaccines have overridden that now. But certainly at the time, the local health board network, obviously they survey everyone at the time they're tested and ask uh, where they think they've picked up the infection. And they identified nearly 500 people who picked up the virus just in Amsterdam alone on April the 27th, uh, which is King's Day. And of course, Amsterdam is the traditionally the epicentre of Koningsdag. Um, and uh, they identified 17 clusters of infection in the capital. Uh, about 60% of people who were infected had been in a large group in the city centre or in a park. And of course, we saw pictures uh, at the end of April of the parks being teeming with people on King's Day. Um, but 80% of the clusters were in indoor spaces. So it seems that uh, whereas in previous years, you sort of go out and you pick up some awful secondhand tat and bring it home. This time, people have been going out and picking up uh, the coronavirus. <laughs> for free. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what's for free. Yes, indeed. Yeah, they haven't even had yeah. to declare a bonnet yet. No. <laughs> Okay, so uh, yeah, it, it kind of looks uh, better than expected, uh, the numbers. When I uh, uh, when they announced uh, the latest relaxations, I thought this is not the moment to 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 open things up when all these numbers are so high and when uh, everything looks so bad. But yeah, it's uh, it's taking a positive turn. Um, 
So yeah, that's it is. Uh, th- that's yeah. Good, the I thing think. is, the numbers are very high, and we, we really need to keep keep this up for for, for at least yeah. a month to really get down to kind of levels where we can start to breathe a bit more easily and uh, really open up properly. So, all right, Gordon. So people have gone home from King's Day with coronavirus for free, but actually it's not free, is it? Because you know the testing costs so much damn money. Yes, indeed. This has been a subject of quite a lot of debate this uh, this week, uh, whether or not people should uh, have, pay for their own corona tariff, so whether or not people should pay for their own coronavirus tests when they travel, because now, of course, the borders are opening up. Um, they, they've dropped the... Uh, uh, the strong advice, the strict advice not to travel uh, as of uh, May the 15th. Of course, other countries have started to let tourists in. Um, But the flip side of this is because we have some of the highest infection rates in Europe, uh, a lot of countries either are not letting Dutch tourists in or they're saying you've got to take a test and quarantine uh, if you do travel. So um, the the European Commission is coming up with a plan uh, for a vaccine passport in the summer and the vaccine passport would be free in uh, principle. And then they're saying that uh, people who haven't been vaccinated should be able to just have a free test because otherwise it's not fair on the people who haven't had the vaccine because you know they're not in the eligible group, i.e. people who are young. And that, of course, means young families. If you've got a family of four and you want to go on holiday this summer, you have to pay for four yeah. sets of tests. It quickly racks up. On the other hand, Hugo de Jonge has been coming in and saying, well, that should really just be part of your cost of a, cost of a holiday and you should lump it. And the Netherlands is one of the few countries that are within the European Union it's been against making the test free because they say that'll that'll harm the uh, you know the the, the 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 profit margins of the commercial tester but, companies. No, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I checked this story out. This was the story <laughs> okay. that BNR ran saying saying this, and they didn't quote anybody, and they said it was the European Commission, and it was actually it's a European Parliament proposal uh. for free Corona tests, not the Commission. It's gotten completely lost here, um, but the Commission says it should be up to national governments to decide themselves what their policy should be. And the European Parliament has said, no, it should be free because we don't want to disadvantage people. Yeah. But where the Dutch bit about the about the protecting the, the private companies is, I don't know, because BNR didn't quote anybody saying that, and nobody actually has said it to me when we kind of followed it up. So... It's a bit odd, but I can tell you that I am going to Scotland for a family emergency this weekend. And and I unbelievable hassle it is. I have to go. There's no no yeah. excuse. But I reckon by the time I've gone and come back, I'll have spent over four hundred euros on tests. Eighty-five yeah. euros for a test to get into the UK that I have to have compulsory before I'm allowed in I have to pre-book 170 pounds worth of tests in Britain but those tests are not going to be any use for me to get back so I need to have two new tests to get back into the Netherlands so it's unbelievable there's a lot of people getting rather fat on this I would say yeah yeah at your expense so yeah, insane. The test that you can have for free in the Netherlands is not enough you're not allowed to you can't they don't give you a printed out certificate because they don't. Right. It's there for uh. people who think they've got coronavirus, not because people want to go on a jolly holiday, you know. And yeah. I have to say, you know, my rant of the whole time is this emphasis on bloody holidays, you know, for travel. And mm. you know, there have been some good moves this week. There's more opportunity for people to have visit their partners, you know, than there used to be. Visit their new grandchildren, but there's still this overwhelming ride, you know, overwhelming thing about holiday 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 but it's costing me 400 euros basically to go to a really sad occasion yeah, you know yeah. and, and and it's not fun i'm not going there for fun so um, i find it very difficult really 
No, and there's lots of people in that situation, people who just haven't, who just want to visit their families or have their families visit them, who haven't seen them for a year, as you and I have both got that experience. Um, and if you do want to go now, you're uh, expected to fork out all this money, um, even though obviously when you go, you, you're quite happy to quarantine because you're with your family. That's really the reason you want to be there. You don't need to go sightseeing or go out to restaurants or whatever. Um, and yet, uh, you know, you're, you're saddled with all these costs because of this perception that, uh, that you're on a jolly. It was a busy week at the Binnenhof, not only because uh, singer Dries Rolfing showed up to fitness with a number of MPs, and it was also busy with, uh, and it was also a filming location of a TV series about Pinford Town, uh, but also because the formation process restarted again. The new informateur, Mariette Hamer, invited all 17 party leaders, one by one, to the Stadthouderskamer to exchange their views on the formation. I'm, uh, I was wondering, did they invite uh, Wiebron van Haga as well, separately, or... Uh, doesn't he count as a new uh, party leader? Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, I'm assuming that now he has his own uh, faction in Parliament, he should have the same, yeah, yeah, uh, rights and access as all the others. I mean, certainly. Yeah, we should check that. Yeah. Um, and just like Herman Cenk Willink, uh, Hammer received the leaders of the smallest parties first on Monday and ended up with Prime Minister Mark Rutte, who of course leads the largest party in Parliament on Tuesday. Uh, it's been over two months since the general elections, but the formation process has been frustrated by mistrust in Mark Rutte over his role in the child benefit scandal and a string of leaked memos and revelations. After Rutte narrowly survived the motion of no confidence on, on April 1st, thanks to his support from the current coalition, uh, which does have a majority in the Tweede Kamer. He promised to completely reinvent himself and come up with a radical plan to change the administrative culture in The Hague. Last week he presented his not-so-radical plan, which included things like abolishing the weekly coalition meetings on Monday and a new help desk, which helps civilians who have trouble with government agencies. Uh, apparently this was uh, enough for some parties, at least the ones uh, crucial for a new coalition, who now seem to move to join Mark Rutte's fourth cabinet. So finally, for the first time in months, it looks like we are getting a new government. I say it kind of typifies Rutte. His idea of a radical step is uh, to set up a help desk. <laughs> yeah. he's, 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 he's kind of also the kind of guy who, if, if, if he if he trades in his secondhand Volvo for, uh, or it's probably not secondhand, he's just had it for it years. Sorry, if he traded in his old Saab for like a secondhand Skoda, <laughs> that would also be seen as a as a revolutionary style move. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, for for Margrethe, that would be revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, because he has uh, he has the, he always he has his car for twenty five years. So whatever he 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 uh, if he gets a new one, that's a radical change for him. Of yeah, course. It, yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me of um, uh, in the nineties in the, the in Britain when John Major was prime minister. Um, his his kind of brightest, most radical idea was setting up a thing called the Cones Hotline, which is if you're driving on a on a motorway and you saw traffic cones, there was a number you could dial and they put up signs next to the road. Really? To, yeah, to warn them. That, that, that was kind of the most revolutionary thing John Major ever did. So Margaret is kind of like the John Major of, uh, of Dutch politics. Well, the, the code About thing was a complete disaster, if I remember. They never got any complaints. So, uh, They're not really cool. No, nobody bothered. It doesn't bode well yeah. for Mr. Rutter then. It doesn't seem like a very pressing issue as well uh, uh, lost cones on the uh, oh, oh on the you'd be amazed oh, you would yeah? be amazed no. oh gosh okay. yes Paul. yeah let's not uh, get yeah. into that then <laughs> but, but what did the party leaders discuss with uh, marietta hammer 
the main party leaders agreed on one thing, and that is that we need uh, speed in the formation process. Deze uh, 66 leader Sigrid Kaag was very clear after her meeting with Hammer. She told journalists that she wants a new cabinet as stable and progressive as possible, and also she wants it uh, before the summer recess. She also said that uh, she was thinking of a coalition of D66, GroenLinks, PvdA, VVD and CDA. And I don't think there was... Uh, 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 it's, uh, it's a coincidence that she, uh, she named these parties in this order. Mm. Um, the CDA leader, Wopke Hoekstra, who until now had always said other parties had the initiative and he didn't feel like joining what he called the liberal motorblock of VVD and D66, changed his view and said that he can see himself joining the next coalition. He added that he is willing to talk with GroenLinks and PvdA, as well as with other parties. And both Jesse Klaver of GroenLinks and Liliane Ploemen of PvdA repeated that they are only willing to step into a coalition with both of their parties on board. So the road seems to be clear for serious negotiations to start between these two, uh, between these five parties. And this is basically what we've been saying for months. Why has it taken them so long? I, I, I don't know. Uh, your prediction was that we would going that we were going to have uh, the same coalition as we had before. Yep. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's not it's, looking it's good for me, is it? No, mm. no, no, no. no. The, yeah, oh, well, let, yeah. let, let's turn to my other favourites then. How is Forum for Democracy? Any, <laughs> any the, more the, problems the with them? Yeah, any more problems there? No, no, of course, that's a very stable party and uh, they n <laughs> never have any trouble. Now, of course, they have trouble. And this time it is in Noord-Brabant. Uh, uh, the coalition there collapsed after the VVD and Christian Democrats said they no longer had any confidence in a coalition with Forum for Democracy. Uh, there have, the party said, been too many incidents involving the FVD and that the resulting instability made it difficult to manage the province properly. Just four of the nine seats which FVD won in the provincial elections in 2019 are now held by party members following a series of splits and resignations, uh, partly stemming from turmoil within the national FVD. Uh, despite emerging as the biggest party in the 2019 provincial vote, FVD was included in just two of the 12 council ruling coalitions, and that was in Limburg and Noord-Brabant, and both of them turned out to be a disaster. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's uh, I think officially there's still um, there's still a coalition in Limburg, but that will probably not uh, last very long, I think. Yeah. Extraordinary, isn't it? Two years, what it can do to your political fortunes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's uh, 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 a lot of people thought, well, uh, Forum for Democracy is booming and we're going to join this party. But then, you know, when, I've, when you join a party and you find out that the leader of this party is... Um, yeah, a uh, narcissistic lunatic. <laughs> they they joined the party hoping that they could change Thierry Baudet, but of course they can't. And uh, yeah, they, they all left and um, it's a mess in that party. Yeah, but, but of course on a positive side, I mean, all, all the voters on the, on the right who constantly complain they've got no, nobody to represent them now have a choice of four parties. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's tremendous. It's great value yeah. for money, really, isn't it? You know, four for the price of one. <laughs> it's rather excellent. Yeah. Uh, perhaps a bit of bookkeeping that uh, Mr. Hugo de Jonge could do with uh, then. <laughs> <laughs> On Wednesday, the Algemeene Rekenkamer, or that's the National Audit Office, publishes its official review of government bookkeeping. And uh, this year's report card for the health ministry was, well, um, I guess you could call it a rather large fail. In fact, the Audit Office said the Health Ministry is unable to properly account for 5 billion euros of spending in 2020. 
Of course, the auditors have acknowledged that the coronavirus crisis put pressure on the health ministry to take a raft of measures, but said nevertheless this had led to serious shortcomings in the accounts department. So what exactly is the problem with the missing billions? Well, it's we just don't know what the money's really been spent on. The paper trail disappears. Uh, amazingly, one billion euros worth of spending on testing materials. Incomplete paper trail. 1.2 billion spending on protection for healthcare workers, face masks and boards and all that lot. And respirators for care homes, also not properly accounted for. And the two billion which was spent on bonuses for medical staff. That also hasn't properly been put down on paper yet. And the the auditors are taking it very seriously indeed, and they've given the the ministry a formal objection, which might sound mild, but is actually the highest mark of disapproval they have at their disposal. And the situation has been even worse, made even worse, they said, because uh, Health Minister Hugo de Jonge had been told about the problems in September last year, but didn't actually start doing anything about it until 2021. A bit like the vaccination programme, really, when you think about it. Yeah, it, uh, it suits uh, Hugo de Jonge, this uh, line of action, I think. Yeah. Um, but the price of face masks has been in the news a lot this week, hasn't it? Well, yes, it has. The Volkskrant came up with a scoop at the weekend, which revealed they a charitable foundation set up by a rather mediagenic young entrepreneur and political commentator, uh, had not actually provided 40 million face masks for the government's PPE efforts, as they said, but had actually they channeled the deal through a private company that they'd set up just three weeks after setting up the foundation. What actually happened is still really confusing. But we do know the health ministry says it has paid 100 million euros to this company that was set up. But the face masks that were delivered are still in storage because there is a dispute going on about whether they're actually a risk to people's health. So they can't be used at the moment. Yeah, I suppose it contain graphene, yeah, it? which is absolutely. a very fine sort of... A fine, a fine dust, a fine particle. Yeah, and it's disputed whether it's good, bad for you if you breathe it in, which, of course, if it's in a face mask, you are going mm. to do. An investigative news platform followed the money's looking into another sort of big purchasing deal for um, PPE, which has a similar kind of story to it. So I think as time goes on, more and more of these stories are going to emerge. And, you know, the crisis at the health ministry and its accounts department is probably going to get even worse. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of inevitable in a way, isn't it, that when you have a sudden emergency and the government, uh, out of necessity, has to throw piles of money at fixing the problem, that uh, people are going to pop up who exploit that, who see that as a as an opportunity and exploit it. And um, yeah, that, 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 there's bound to be stories uh, popping up of um, you know of uh, people overcharging for face masks or some some some, some dodgy financial deals. Um, and uh, this, I guess, is probably the tip of the iceberg, as you say. I think, yeah, we'll definitely... Um, I understand the, 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 yeah, the, 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 what this guy, uh, the, the core of what this guy, um, Siebert van der Linden, did was he set up two organisations and he had a non-profit company and he had a commercial company and he basically sort of um, told everybody that he was uh, ordering the masks through his non-profit company, i.e. not-for-profit, but then when he sent the receipts, they were done through the commercial company and it turns out there was a margin after all. And uh, the, the the whispers are is he, he's 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 uh, he's done quite well out of it personally. In fact, he he gave up his job at the, the when he placed the first order and said, "I'm not bothered." He was a he was a press officer for one of the political parties, I think. He talks he, about he, his he, large cars quite a lot on Twitter. Actually, yeah, I think, exactly. But... Yeah, and and yet uh, he he also claims he hasn't made a cent out of the uh, in profit out of the out of the masks. So 
Yeah, something doesn't add up there. No, it, it doesn't. And I mean, there's definitely, definitely much more to it than meets the eye. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, you see, you know, it's business, isn't it? You see an opportunity, you take it. Like the people who charge me 85 euros for a five second <laughs> swab up the nose. I've just had my results, by the way, and they yeah. are negative. I do not have oh. coronavirus. I can go to Scotland. Thank you. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Well, that's some, some consolation. If you don't uh, quite have five billion euros going spare, then never fear, because you can become a sponsor of the Dutch News podcast for as little as one euro a month. You'll join our select band of around 100 patrons and get the chance to ask us a question about anything you like. We'll also give you a shout out on the next podcast by way of thanks. So this week, we say thank you to Alison Fisher and to Arsene. Thank you to both of you for, for your very kind donations. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we also heard back from another of uh, this month's new patrons, Robert Dunk from Vancouver in Canada. Uh, Robert oh, says, that's a great name. Yes, uh, to be so, grateful so, for. Yeah, so, so special thanks to Robert Dunk. Yeah, uh, look Dunk to Robert. Uh, Robert is originally from Sprangkapelle in North Brabant, uh, not a place I know. Oh. Do you know that, Paul? Yeah, I know it. Sprangkapelle. Yeah. Uh, it's between Breda and uh, Tilburg. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, he emigrated originally to Orlando to pursue his career as an engineer on roller coasters. Uh, he should have uh, stayed at home and become a press officer for Forum for Democracy, maybe. <laughs> so, very similar line of work. Um, and he says he listens to the podcast while he's driving home from work to keep up with what's going on back home. So, uh, yeah, we, we hope we kind of uh, unravel the, uh, the ups and downs of uh, the uh, Dutch political scene for you, Robert. If you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, log on to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dutchnewsnl. There's been a fair bit of economic news around this week, with good news on both unemployment and on exports. First of all, the April unemployment figures show that the big coronavirus slump we've been expecting has not yet hit. The official unemployment rate has now fallen to 3.4% and has been falling steadily since August when it reached 4.6%. Of course, this may change when government support is phased out, but at the moment there's no sign of the major job losses that some people have been predicting. But uh, there have been some gloomy headlines about the recession, I see. Well, yes, the economy has contracted for two quarters in a row, and officially that means we were in a recession at the end of March. But it had been expected by economists, and the contraction was rather small, 0.5% in the first quarter of this year and 0.1% in the final quarter of last. The CBS itself describes the situation rather oddly as less unfavourable. And, I mean, the economic <laughs> prospects are quite good, Consumer confidence is up, producer confidence is up, manufacturing output is up, there were fewer bankruptcies, and of course, house prices are continuing to rise. Yeah, which is kind of that last one's quite startling because all the um, house price experts last year were saying there was going to be a crash because uh, you know, people wouldn't move, and yet it turns out there's uh, this seems to squeeze on house prices. Nobody's selling, but uh, people want to buy, they want to move out to the country, and it's driving the prices up. And the shortage of supply, there isn't very much around. And That's what I mean, nobody's selling. Yeah, yeah. And extremely low interest rates, of course, make it actually very cheap as well. So, uh, you yeah. know, it, it, it's all all systems go. I mean, the people I've spoken to don't see any change really in the, in the, in the coming months. They were always very optimistic that it would still continue to boom. Um, it's very hard on first-time buyers who can't get a, a leg on the housing ladder here at all. Very, very difficult. But, Absolutely. you know, unless the government gets its finger out and appoints a housing minister in its new government and starts actually building and ignoring local councils' sort of 
weird rules that they have which stop them doing what they plan to do, then, uh, you know, I don't really see what they're going to do about it, really. It seems to be slower in Amsterdam. It's not the case a lot of people in Amsterdam who had Airbnb properties are now selling them because they can't use them for Airbnb anymore. Has that had any, <laughs> any difference? Not really, no. I mean, house prices. Right. I mean, house prices have slowed in Amsterdam. They're not going up as fast as they are in Nordost Groningen, for example, or Achterhoek, yeah. where there've been really big, big rises. But you know, they are out of. I mean, you're looking here in Amsterdam. You know, five hundred thousand euros for a small flat that two years ago was going for three hundred thousand. I mean, it's yeah. it's really quite absurd. So, I hear from people that you know, people buying is going on behind the scenes. As soon as something comes up on the market, people are almost bidding unseen. Um, as it were. So, you know, it, it, I think it's very, very hard. And But of course, the changes of the council rules here with the Airbnb flats, for example, is having some impact. But I haven't noticed that there's been a huge number of them coming up for sale. No, people instead are, are still are now renting them out for sort of 1,500, 2,000 euros a month and hoping that they can get people to take them for that price. And is there news about uh, the export numbers? Well, actually, uh, research by the... Uh, Netherlands British Chamber of Commerce last month suggested that a quarter of Dutch companies were facing complications and extra costs in exporting to Britain since Brexit. But um, the CBS had a nice little item on Thursday morning which showed things might not be that bad after all. Uh, The new CBS figures show that despite the Brexit fears, the export of Dutch products to Britain, that means goods and services produced in the Netherlands, so tulips, for example, was up 24% in the first three months of this year Mm. when compared to the same period in last year when, of course... um, that was Brexit, uh, that was coronavirus. Uh, So that looks good. But if you look back to 2019, before corona, before Brexit, then you see that the figures are about stable. So very little change, actually, if you compare Mm. kind of like periods with like. The difference has been with throughput, that's products which are just shipped into Rotterdam, for example, to be shipped out somewhere else, like all the cocaine shipments that they keep finding Um, and they are actually down 26 percent in the first quarter compared uh, with last year and 37 percent compared with 2019 so in the long term that might be a problem for places like Rotterdam port Um, and we shouldn't forget that Britain is the Netherlands second most important trading partner yeah so the Brexit Muppet was uh, pretty scary after all I think he did a good job there yeah yeah A quiet afternoon in the village of Brook in Waterland was disrupted this week by a scene straight out of a heist movie. Armed police in bulletproof vests swarmed through the fields in pursuit of thieves who were trying to steal 50 million euros of gold and diamonds. The heist began last Wednesday at Schöne Edelmetall, a depot in the north of Amsterdam where precious metals are melted down. A bullion van was held up by a gang of masked men. One of them warned off passers-by by firing shots from an automatic rifle, while the others loaded the contents of the van into several high-performance cars. They then sped off along the provincial roads, firing at the pursuing police cars through open windows. When they got to Buchenwaterland, the gang dumped and torched the vehicles, and uh, dumped another, uh, I think, a Renault estate car in, 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 in somebody's garden, um, and then uh, set off on foot through the fields. One suspect was shot dead, two were injured by police dogs, and six were arrested. And police later made two more arrests on the A16 near Rotterdam of people who were believed to have been involved. Police spokesman Rob van der Feen said it was an exceptionally violent robbery and confirmed the gang had used automatic weapons. The police wouldn't confirm any further details of the investigation, but NOS reported the suspects came from Belgium and France. So uh, I don't know if they had to take their coronavirus uh, test before they left, uh, and, or, or if they're going to fine for breaking quarantine, but uh, that, that should be the very least of their punishments. 
they, they weren't stealing 510 square meters of plants uh, by they the way might as have been, well or, or maybe they were just uh, d- d- delivering a batch of um, uh, face masks uh, that had been ordered from yeah. china by, 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 by with five uh, billion uh, euros uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it's quite extraordinary and quite scary really when you think about it yeah. but i mean it wasn't the only shooting incident in amsterdam this week either was it no, it wasn't, because uh, early on Sunday evening, three men, again with automatic weapons, uh, opened fire on a car that was driving on Maaslerstraat in uh, Amsterdam's New West District. The 27-year-old woman who was driving the car managed to carry on to a local hospital, but uh, she died of her injuries later on. Her passenger was a 26-year-old man who was unhurt, but he's believed to have been the target of the shooting. Crime site named him as uh, Anis Bay and said he'd had a long-running feud with a Rotterdam drug lord known as Piet Costa. The victim was said to be his girlfriend, 27-year-old Isla Minches, who lived in an apartment on Maaslerstraat. So, There's yeah, all... lots of uh, death and destruction in Amsterdam. And, and, and automatic weapons. I mean, that's a new thing. Yes. That's, that's... Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, and they, they, they spent, I mean, I saw today that uh, and the police were going around uh, Buchenwaterland just picking up, you know, uh, spent shells you know, from, from these guns. It's extraordinary nobody else was killed or seriously injured. Yeah. Yeah, they said that as well. But it is really alarming that suddenly you see, as you say, automatic weapons popping up in these incidents. It's a definite escalation. And also the videos that I saw of this um, uh, uh, of these uh, suspects that were fleeing the police uh, in this field in what was it uh, Broek der Water, Broek in Waterland. Waterland, yeah. Yeah, it was it was extraordinary to see uh, and. Um, uh, it, it just looked like something that indeed came straight out of a, a straight out of a movie. It's sort of like a heist. It's sort of like you're watching Alfred Udoka's Quack, and then suddenly it turns into a heist movie. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder what kind of song Herman von Veen would uh, <laughs> write about this heist. Yeah, I think police would be very quiet about what's going on there. Actually, they haven't said very much about it at all. Just yeah, they'd be very tight lipped. Yeah, and they, they have they have I think confirmed that the the. The men were from France and Belgium today, this afternoon, but they haven't really said anything about what they were after. We know is what the Telegraph is saying, really. So it's a uh... yeah, and they, um, it was a curious thing yesterday that they they said that um, the thieves hadn't managed to um, uh, catch the no, no, um, hadn't managed to actually managed, hadn't actually managed to steal the uh, the jewels, even though you know people had seen them actually loading them into the cars. And I think they said that they backtracked that on today and said they had um, yeah they, they had managed to. Um, yeah, get the loot. Well, I mean, they're probably looking for more people as well. I mean, it wouldn't be surprised if there were more people that they were going to try and find. It seems to have been an incredibly well-organised thing that went a bit wrong, really. Mm. Speaking of uh, well-organised things that went a little bit wrong, um, <laughs> Rotterdam is in the middle of hosting the Eurovision Song Contest, one of the largest live events on the planet. 39 more or less European countries take part in the event and they sent their supposedly best singers to the Netherlands, hoping to win the votes of the European audience. Dutch singer Duncan Lawrence won the 2019 edition in Israel with his song Arcade, and that meant that the Netherlands could host the next event. Last year, however, the song contest was cancelled for the first time in its history because of the corona pandemic, but even though we are still in the middle of it, this time it was decided to go through with it, and even allow an audience of 3,500 people in the Ahoy Arena. Naturally, this led to numerous corona cases, 
among the thousands of people allowed in the arena. The Polish and Icelandic delegations had to go into quarantine after positive cases among their teams on Sunday. Um, they were allowed to come out of isolation after new tests came out negative. But one of the Icelandic band members was again tested positive on Wednesday, so they are not allowed to uh, perform in the semifinals on Thursday. No reports of infections among the audience have been made, and the latest news is that Duncan Lawrence has tested positive as well on Thursday. He will not perform on stage on Saturday, but the organization is looking into ways how he can uh, be included in the live show. Mm. Uh, there are 26 spots available in the grand final on Saturday. Uh, as of the time of recording, Israel, Azerbaijan, Cyprus, Malta, Belgium, Ukraine, Sweden, Lithuania, Russia and Norway have qualified after the first semi-final on Tuesday. The so-called Big Five, that's France, Germany, Italy, Spain and the United Kingdom, as well as the winner of the last edition, are automatically qualified for the grand final show. So uh, did you guys watch um, uh, on Tuesday or not? No. I, I, I did watch a bit of it, but then uh, I got bored, I think. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I got kind of... Um, it, uh, yeah, uh, it's actually... Um, uh, uh, I'm going away this weekend for my son's 18th birthday, um, but all my Dutch relatives insisted... Uh, that they that we all sit down and watch Eurovision on on tonight mm. together on Saturday night. So uh, the grand I'm going to be forced uh, the grand final. Yeah, so I'm going to be press ganging into watching it. I have to say as well, um, uh, uh, he he was born uh, on the weekend of the Eurovision Song Contest as well, and that was the year famously that uh, Britain got null point. So it was a very kind of auspicious uh, weekend to come really? into the world. Yes, zero point. Yeah. Uh, who was the? Uh, I can't was remember who the British. I knew, I knew you were going to ask me that. I can't remember who the British entry was. Which year was Should it? Look it, up. it was two thousand and three. Two thousand and three. Well, we we'll look it up and we will link to uh, to that song in the liner notes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was Gemini. It was Gemini with Crybaby. Gemini with Crybaby. Crybaby. Well, that's yeah. Very appropriate title for a song. Appropriate title for, indeed for for the null point and for the fact that I had a baby that weekend. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, my wife did, rather. Yeah, I watched it, but, you know, as always, it is just... Um, I always call it irritainment because uh, it's it's yeah. fun to watch it and to be irritated by the bad quality of songs and the, um, yeah, outlandish uh, the ridiculous uh, fireworks and well. the ridiculous yeah. uh, uh, costumes they're wearing. It's uh, But luckily, yeah. you, you will see the best of Europe has to offer because you don't have to suffer through the uh, semifinals and the people who, uh, who are voted Paul, away. Paul, if so, you uh, think this least, is the best... Europe has got to offer. No, of course not. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, oh dear, oh lord. It's one of those things you just watch against itself, don't you? I mean, you, you watch it for the kits, you watch it for the bad commentary, the bad costumes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and and the really, and the mostly awful songs. There's usually one or two half decent ones in, in there somewhere. But uh, yes, but yeah. out of 39, you have that's to listen to a lot of dross to get through them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, I wonder uh, if we will see a lot of um, uh, positive corona cases in Rotterdam uh, the next yeah, so week. Rotterdam has, uh, when, when, as, as I think I said earlier, the, about the highest rate of uh, corona infections yeah. in the country. And this country has yeah. about the worst corona infection. They should have moved it to Kroningen, which has got far, <laughs> far lower infection rates. And uh, it's just a better place to have a party anyway. I, I can care. No, I don't. I don't agree at all. I, I mean, they've moved. They've moved a football, a very important football match because of it. I, I don't understand. You know, how much money has this cost? Do you think we'll find this out in like the culture ministry budget or something in a, in a couple of years' time? I mean, you know, museums and everything are still shut. 
And yet we get to go and watch people wearing not many clothes singing really crappy songs. It's kind of weird, really. Yeah, but it was a field lab, right? Yeah, it is so, a field uh, lab. Yeah, that was the reason why it could go through. Another 1.2 yeah. billion euros, yeah. Yeah, so, so, you yeah. Can go, yeah so, so you can go with your family to the Eurovision Song Contest, but your children can't go to school the week after. So uh, Robin gives uh, Eurovision uh, zero point. Uh, <laughs> Gordon, how many... Uh, uh, please give your votes. Uh, I'll, I'll give it uh, deux points. Deux points? Yeah. Okay, well, I give it... Uh, eight point, I right. think. Yeah, eight point. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's 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 a tradition to watch it and to be annoyed by it yeah. and to. Um, we decided uh, as a continent to change our uh, uh, continental tradition from having a world war every now and then to um, suffer through this. So, yeah. yeah, I think this is better than. It than, is definitely better. Yeah, this is all the tradition. argument I make. This is always the argument I make about the royals. Although I'm not really a fan of the royals as such, I always think. The good thing about the royals is that you have the government has less money to spend on other things because if it di if it didn't spend it on the royals, you'd buy you know more stuff for the military or something. So yeah, on exactly. balance, that is although the I don't... worst <laughs> argument in favour of the That's monarchy the I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have a royal family than an aircraft carrier. I just would. You rather have a uh, a lamp of, of what was it the uh, 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 part of bloom lamp than than, yes. than an aircraft carrier. absolutely okay. Do you know I, I yeah. wonder if it's the lamp from uh, the from Moy the Dutch design group oh no it's not called Moy what's it called I have one I have a mini one I have a single part of bloom uh, with a bulb inside it it was a present from my from my children it's very very beautiful but it eats batteries like crazy so um, I hope that the royals have enough money to pay for it. <laughs> well, there's no, uh, there's no doubt that they have uh, 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 not enough money to pay for it. No, but but they don't have uh, solar panels on the roof of the palace because that was uh, denied by the municipality of The Hague. Yes, but because it's a Rijks monument. Oh, and uh, Maxima visited uh, Eurovision this afternoon, but I don't think there is any. There's no op about that. No, I don't think but, so. Uh, is, is Argentina going to be allowed in the song contest uh, next year? Ooh. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, we have Australia, we have Israel, yeah. we have we have all these countries on in, in the Caucasus. So yeah, why not why not Argentina? Mm. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Robin Pascoe and also to Molly Quell. And we'll be back next week. The, the only they weird thing is up. that this time it's not a VVD politician, it's a CDA politician, yeah. right? Yeah. It's Hugo de Jonge who lost uh, all this they're, money. He's he's they're having a bad influence on the Christians, basically. He, he's kind of VVD in spirit, really, isn't he? I think he's the most VVD-ish yeah. of all the years. Uh, <laughs> all CDA politicians, he's Definitely. the one who would fit who yeah. transfer most seamlessly into the VVD. No, that's Hoekstra, for sure. No, 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 no. You think it's Hugo de Jonge? No, because Hoekstra is, you know, is, is actually, you know, a pro, it's, 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 he's, yeah, he's but a he clearly scum, cares he? way real... more about like Ayn Rand than poor people. So, I mean, he's definitely he should be in the Veve Day. Unless you're making an yeah. argument that the party of the Veve Day is both we hate poor people and incompetence, at which point then your man <laughs> is Hugo de Jonge. <laughs>
<laughs> no, no, no. I've ju- I'm just arguing that Hugo de Jonge looks like someone yeah, who should belong true. to the He does look like party. a guy that owns two car dealerships in North Brabant. <laughs> like Bergenabzoom or something. Yeah, but all the drug dealers in North Brabant are say they are politicians as well. Yeah, so yeah that's right. Say they are territory. 